Welcome to the podcast series by Writers Key. Uh, welcome everyone. Uh, I'm Anjali Ragbir from Writers Key, and I'm delighted to welcome all of you from all parts of the world who have taken the time to attend this webinar. Uh, we are Writers Key, an education consultancy firm. Uh, which is based in New Delhi, India, and we help students with their college application process. Uh, we are very uh, niche and very um, we work with students very closely. Rachna, my colleague who joins us, is an educator, and she's been with me uh, since last year. And we work together with students to help them tell their story and get the best admissions possible. Uh, today, we're hosting the first in a series of webinars which we're calling the College Brew, because it's all about bringing different universities to your doorstep. Uh, coronavirus has derailed admissions officers visiting India. I know Anne visits India twice a year, and unfortunately that's not been possible because of this uh, pandemic. Uh, but our effort is to introduce people like her uh, to you and for you to ask all your questions, have all your doubts answered, learn about what makes an application stellar, as well as how is the pandemic changing college applications. So Anne is going to be covering a whole host of topics uh, and we're absolutely delighted to have you Anne. Anne is the Director of International Admissions at Boston University. She's been with them for several years. And besides that, she is my, um, my husband went to Boston University and we've known Anne for a very long time. She's a very dear friend as well. And uh, welcome Anne to the platform. With her is a Boston University student who is currently pursuing business at Questrom Business School. Um, Ashna joins us from Dubai. She's gonna tell you all the nitty gritties of how she applied and what she's facing in uh, college. And, I think there's no need to introduce Boston University because Boston is by far one of the most amazing institutes uh, that, that exists out there. Uh, it's uh, 35,000 people study there, of which a third of them are international students. And I think that's what makes uh, Boston so vibrant, Boston University so vibrant. It's got amazing facilities, it's got uh, research, it's got 21 libraries, and I could go on and on, but I'm gonna leave that to Anne to introduce uh, Boston University and tell you how spectacular it is. So welcome, Anne, and I'm gonna hand it over to you to tell us about BU and to tell us all the wonderful things I know you've planned for us. Platform. Thank you so much, Anjali and Rachna. Thank you both. Um, it's really an honor to be here. Um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned I visited India twice a year. And I'm when you said, you know, I couldn't be there now. It made me just sort of long for for the subcontinent for sure. Um, it's really a joy to have known families for. I've been going to India for more than 20 years, so uh, more years than the applicants that are coming to Boston University now who are 18 years old. So um, it's really a pleasure, and I am so delighted that Ashna is here with me today. And so she and I will be kind of sharing um, the, the first part of the presentation where we really talk about what it's like to be at BU, what are some highlights about BU, and I'm going to share my screen and, and start that now.
And Anjali, I think you might need to uh, unmute Ashna. Great, thank you. So to begin, uh, Boston University is located in America's college town. We, um, on your screen, it would be on the right side there, um, right along the Charles River. Uh, Boston is an incredibly vibrant place, full of uh, top scholarship. Of course, there's you know Harvard and MIT. There are 60 universities within a 10-mile radius. You know Northeastern, Babson, Bentley, Emerson. The, the list goes on and on. Uh, we're ideally situated, we're sort of long and linear. You can see on the right, we kind of line um, the river there, but we are contiguous. So unlike some urban campuses, we actually are one long linear line, but we're not around the city, sort of buildings floating around the city. Um, and our connection to Boston is great. Um, the subway goes uh, into our campus and students can access internships and all those great things. So. Um, Ashna, I'd love to hear how Boston has sort of impacted your, your studies to start. Sure. Um, so the beautiful campus, as you can see um, on the picture, I'm actually just looking at the Charles River right now and missing it. <laughs> um, I used to always, right before actually we left for spring break um, and, you know, got stuck in wherever we were, um, I would sit outside right um, close to the Sitco sign, as you can see. Um, is right maybe like 15 minute walk from there is the BU beach and people call it the BU beach even though I mean there's no beach um, <laughs> you can actually uh, you know the cars running on the highway sounds like waves so people call it the BU beach and it's just a huge strip of grass everyone sits there um, and right I mean right next to what as Anne mentioned um, the subway or the train is right in the middle of Commonwealth Avenue. So um, I love the location because I can go to Boston Commons, the North End, Newberry Street, which is so famous. Um, you can, you know, literally go there between classes if you need to pick up something or if you need like a shopping spree right after a midterm. Um, so it's a great location. Um, and, you know, every location, as I mentioned, is ten, every college is 10 it's a 10 mile radius. So you can engage with so many different students. I've met so many different people just by walking on the street. Awesome, thank you. Okay, so just a few highlights about BU and we'll move into that. Um, the, my favorite, and, and you mentioned this Anjali in your opening remarks about BU is just that we're highly, highly international. Um, and being international is not solely about bringing international students to your campus. That's only one aspect. Uh, we have a tremendous reciprocity with the world. We um, were actually the first university to offer study abroad. So the, the idea a hundred years ago, where we said to students, you have to think beyond the shores of Boston. It's important. And so that has been really something that's in our DNA and critical to our mission at the university. Um, we also, again, it's not just about students, uh, outward and inward bound students uh, globally, but it's also having that infused into the coursework um, and into the experience. So including uh, faculty that are international and researchers. Uh, so it's really a hub. And of course, the city of Boston is a hub of international students as well. And what is being at kind of that kind of global place for you meant, Ashna? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Do you want to add to that, Ashna? So, um, 
I think, I mean, I've heard so many times as um, Anjali mentioned that one third of um, 35,000 students are international. And I think I was a bit nervous actually coming to, you know, the US 7,000 miles away. Um, and, you know, I, I actually didn't know anyone from my high school that was going there. So I was a bit nervous the first day. I remember settling into my dorm room, had no idea who my roommate was. And I saw a big poster saying, um, you know, there's a big event, 200 plus clubs are going to be on Nickerson Field, which is the the big field where all the sports um, athletes are practicing on. And um, it's next week. So I was like, okay, uh, you know, let me see if I can meet some people there. When I got there, first, it's a huge crowd. Every freshman student is on that field. And um, there's over 200 tables and booths. Actually, I got lost so many times. And um, I was like, I'm going to try out anything. So I was a little bit interested in film. I joined the film club. My roommate, um, who is Palestinian, she joined the Indian club because she was, you know, she wanted to get acquainting, acquainted with the culture. And so did I. So it really didn't matter which community you wanted to fit in because there were so many options. Um, and I think that was the way I, I got very familiar with the, the campus because of the people and the people make up the campus. So um, I think, I think when you, when you, you know, try to get involved, which are my two words that I always say, get involved, you meet so many different people and you learn so many different cultures. Thank you. That's great. The other thing BU I think is distinctive, um, there are a lot of schools that offer a lot of programs. We're one of them. We have over 300 majors and minors or programs of study. Um, but I think the idea that you can move between colleges, so at BU we're, we're Boston University, but we have 10 schools and colleges. So Ashna's in Questrom School of Business, for example, but there's the College of Arts and Sciences, College of Engineering. Uh, and it's very unusual that schools um, have sort of open access between the schools and colleges. So schools like us, large research universities. So this idea you could be studying in engineering and business or uh, philosophy and uh, the fine arts. It, it really um, is a place where you can transform and have a lot of power over how you wanna do that. Uh, we also have an honors college, the Kilishand Honors College, and that's a smaller a cohort of students that um, come in and it's almost like a small liberal arts college within with all the benefits of a great research university um, and that's important to note. Um, you can, um, the other thing I want to mention is the College of General Studies which is a instead of a September start it's actually a January start. It's our second largest college. It is how you fulfill your liberal arts requirements um, in an interdisciplinary way for the first two years. You can take elective courses in there too and start working towards your ultimate goal. And after those two years in general studies, you are transitioned into any of our uh, other our schools and colleges. And I know, Ashna, that was your story. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about that because now you're in Questrom and tell us a little bit about that start. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so CGS or the College of General Studies is a two-year program, and I I think it really allows you to become a real thinker. So, uh, its approach to this holistic type of education um, ranges from taking courses including natural sciences, humanities, um, history, and writing courses. And actually, at the end of the two years, so at your in your final year, you do a capstone project. 
So uh, just, I think three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was working with a group of six to seven students. In my case, it was seven students. And we drafted a 60, 50 to 60 page paper on any topic. So um, in that, I think that what CGS or the College of General Studies was really you know, trying to get us to do was to build upon our hard skills, the writing and the research, as well as our soft skills. So working with people. And I think, you know, going into the school of business is your soft skills are so important. Uh, we learn how to present at every, every, in every class, we learn how to speak up. So I think um, CGS in particular really helped me um, work on those soft skills. And uh, yeah, the capstone project, I think is one of the best highlights of, I think my whole education experience as a whole. Great. Now that it's behind you and all your hard work, right? <laughs> research and internships. So Boston University is categorized as a, as a teaching and research university. And I think what's important for all of you looking at for an undergraduate experience is that we have a program just for you. It's called Europe, the Undergraduate Research Opportunities Program. And it allows students to conduct research throughout the calendar year, so even in the summer, um, and some of which is paid research. Uh, BU is, is a high-powered research university. We receive over 500, almost 600 million actually in, in, in research grants. And some of that funding, over a million of that funding is reserved for the undergraduate research program. We are a member of the AAU, which may not mean anything to you, but it means a lot <laughs> to, to institutions. You have to be invited to be an AAU school, and it's all based on your level of research and the quality of your research. So in, in Cambridge and Boston, there are three of us that are AAU schools, BU, Harvard, and MIT. So we're in there, I think there are about 55 in North America that are part of the AAU, but it tells you about the caliber of research that we offer. Um, we also have, I know all of you are thinking about outcomes and what happens when I graduate. Let's think four years from now or five years from now or two years in Ashna's case, but um, our employability statistics are excellent. I think so much of that too is that our brand is really well known and the quality of our students are really well known around the world because of our really powerful uh, alumni network. Um, we have an extraordinary center for career development that really begins work on cultivating these skills for employment as early as the student's first year. And employers come to BU to uh, recruit students. And we have specific fairs for international students. You can imagine uh, with, a, with a community like ours that we would have to accommodate that, of course. And we do, so um, that's just, something. So 96% of our students are employed or in graduate school within six months of graduation. Um, we are a residential community. Um, that is that we have, like I mentioned, we're contiguous and we guarantee housing for all four years. And if you're looking at urban schools, you know that's a, a rarity um, because real estate is, is so difficult to come by. Um, and as Ashna mentioned, lots of student clubs and organizations, and they range from uh, the ridiculous to the sublime. I was, I was the faculty advisor to the Kazakhstani club, and I was also the faculty advisor to the picnic club, which meant that all we did was sit around outside and eat, and BU gave us funding for it. So there you go. <laughs> Maybe not the healthiest option, but it was a lot of fun. All right, great. Uh, I I'd like to say to the Ashna, Marks, just if you don't mind, Ashna. Um, 
some advice for these students that are thinking of applying and uh, just to, before you say, say goodbye and get back to your work? Of course. Um, and Anne, I definitely do need to join the picnic club now. I'm going to Yay! look. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So I think um, some advice is definitely, um, since, I mean, we're at, in these times where, you know, visiting isn't really an option. I think looking at the culture through the eyes of, um, you know, previous students, there's so many websites, um, the student, the there is the newspaper you can well, subscribe to, BU Today, tells you so much about how students um, are interacting, even in these times over, you know, during the year, how, um, how professors help you through all the exam stress. It's, it's amazing. Um, uh, my dad was actually just telling me earlier today about, you know, he was reading the Boston Globe and so much about what BU is doing to help the virus is is on there. Um, and so um, a little bit more advice, I think, is to reach out to people. I remember there were so many Facebook groups um, that I was a part of when I was applying to colleges. So many people are just engaging and interacting on there. Um, that's definitely what I did. And everyone was super excited, um, which gets you really excited. Um, and definitely um, BU, I think, has constantly been surprising me, um, you know, Boston's a cold, um, a cold, cold city. <laughs> and um, I was not used to that. I'm from Dubai. I'm, it's, I think it's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit right now. <laughs> so, um, and you know, I, I heard from my dad who studied in a cold city 25 years ago that you would want to stay inside. But the students at BU are so um, just very, very, they have so much energy. And I remember the week before, you know, uh, I was taking my midterms, there was one sunny day and everyone was out playing soccer, frisbee, that game where you throw the ball in the trampoline. Um, everyone was out. And actually a professor himself took his discussion class outside to enjoy some sun. Um, so it's constantly surprising me. The students are constantly surprising me. The professors are so supportive. Um, that's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. That's perfectly said. I appreciate it. And yeah, have a great rest of your day. An evening, Thank Ashna. you. Thank you, Ashna, for joining us. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Ciao. We'll talk to you later. Wonderful. Love our BU students. It's good to see them. Um, now we're moving on to some other topics that I know were um, important for me to cover today. And of course, we wanted to have time for your for your questions as well. Um, so moving on to um, funding for um, for our students. So. Uh, for domestic students, for some, I know there might be some permanent residents uh, in the crowd or U.S. citizens, so I did want to comment on that. We do offer need-based aid. For non-citizens, we have merit-based funding, and those range from uh, full tuition and fees, which is our trustee scholarship. It's our flagship scholarship. Um, our presidential scholarship is sort of the next tier, and that's about $25,000. Um, and I know that many, uh, I know that we've had trustee, many trustee winners from India, and I know that we have many, many presidential scholarships as well. And then there are some specific um, scholarships um, as well. They're kind of um, just really, some of them have some criteria, some of them don't. Like you can see there's a STEM scholarship there. Um, and those are all renewable for four years. So those aren't, aren't just for the first year, but every, every scholarship is, is renewable for the four years of study. I think the key thing to remember is that the deadline is December 1, while our regular decision deadline is the first of the year. So kind of thinking a month early when you apply to BU 
because nothing makes me sadder than when I talk to a family and they said, oh, you know, I applied and I applied by the deadline, but they mean the January deadline and you students can't be considered beyond that. It's too, it's too competitive. So good for you to know about those. Now I wanna, if, um, if that's okay, I will move into application tips. Um, first of all, I wanna just put your mind at ease. I know it's stressful. Every, and, and I think it's been elevated by all that's going on for everyone, right? But I, I wanna assure you that colleges and universities like BU, I can speak for my colleagues. I just talked to my friend for, who's the director at UCLA yesterday, and we were talking to a group of students and we said the exact same message that we understand these are challenging times and universities are going to look at students' applications through that lens, whether that's testing or maybe uh, the way the IB, if some of you are doing the IB, the way they're assessing grades for this year, all the things that have kind of been shaken up, uh, you know, education institutions understand uh, and we're looking through within that paradigm as we think about your application. So not to worry. But I want to speak briefly about holistic. What does that mean? Especially what does that mean now that testing seems to be trending away? By that, I mean standardized testing like SAT and ACT. So Boston University will be test optional for those of you applying uh, for the next year. And um, if, if students who are IB always, they for the past couple of years, those they had the option to be test flexible, but now really it's, it's for any student who wants to. Um, so what, what does that mean for an application is that the other aspects will have more, more uh, relevance to the committee. So as we think about your application holistically, and I'm not gonna talk through these because I actually wanna show you a student and actually talk through a particular student that I have coming up. But you can see here, um, sometimes students think that SAT must be the most valuable piece. And even before uh, test optional, I used to see widened eyes when I would say, would you believe we deny students with perfect SAT scores? And I would see students go, what? Absolutely, because the most important thing, and this is really not rocket science, is the work you do every day at your high school is the most important thing. Research shows us that that is the best predictor of how you're gonna do your first year at BU or your first year anyway. So uh, let's look at a student. So I have Sahil from Calcutta, I love Calcutta. So I had to have him from there. Um, and you can see at the bottom of the screen, you can see sort of five areas. You have grades, you have curriculum, you have test scores. He doesn't have any, he took the TOEFL, which I know is often a, an interesting conversation in India because the medium of instruction is English. Uh, everyone speaks beautiful English, I know that for sure. Uh, and yet, um, I always tell students if, if you feel like um, you, you exchange, you know, you're truly bilingual and you're really moving between the languages, it, it, it would just be another piece of evidence for the committee to, if you took the TOEFL or the IELTS. Um, you all do very well on it, so it, it tends to only strengthen the application. But again, I think that's up to you, your guidance counselor, um, the advice that you get. But we certainly get a lot of TOEFL and IELTS from, from India. Um, your application essay, which uh, is very my favorite part of the application. It's where you really get to have a voice in this, uh, in this uh, uh, admissions process. And then personal highlights, what we learn about more deeply at Sahil. So in this case, Sahil is in the IB. Uh, he's doing higher bio, econ, and English, standard math, analysis. This is, I'm, I'm using the, the new uh, IB language, uh, syllabi. 
uh, French B and music. So he's doing a very solid, strong, uh, rigorous IB curriculum. Now, it, curricula looks different if students want to apply to engineering, right? That might, uh, we would expect physics in that case. So we are going to look a little bit in terms of matching a student's curriculum to what they want to study at BU, but not in the way the UK does, not with such strict guidelines, a little more broadly. We just want to make sure that engineers have the right physics and math to be successful in our College of Engineering. And in this case, we could have Sahil applying to business or to uh, computer science as well in our College of Arts and Sciences. I wanted to show this slide. I met, you can see he has an average GPA of a 3.7. That is our average. Um, and he did not take the SAT, so obviously that's not a factor in his decision. But you can see there's a little fluctuation there. It's, it's, I would call it relatively minor, but he dropped a little bit, probably because he started the IB and he was coming out of perhaps either the IGSE or maybe he was coming out of an Indian uh, curriculum, which we see, a national curriculum. And so sometimes we can see a dip as students adjust. And Again, just to reassure you that as we look at students for admission, we are thinking in terms of what high school do you go to, what curriculum is offered, what are your trends in grades. So if we could bar graph your grades, we want to see that rise in trends. So if you're um, about to you know, enter your final year, just know that your final year is going to be the most important. And again, no surprise, research tells us that that is the best predictor of how you're going to do. So when I see a drop, um, then, then that becomes worrisome. And I know. Um, looking at many thousands and thousands of applications from India, sometimes I think that students who do the Indian curriculum and take that 10-year exam, I see a drop in year 11. I think if all of you are probably at home nodding, if that's you. Um, and I think for US universities, sometimes we don't understand, some don't understand the context. So really remembering that that junior year or the penultimate year of, of your secondary school is going to be important to admissions office. All right. Um, we'll get a letter of recommendation from your school counselor, from a teacher, um, and then we ask, you know, what are you involved in? He's in the entrepreneurial club, he plays soccer, he's in the band, um, he's doing student government, he's lived in three countries. Now, some of you are probably thinking, oh my gosh, but it's COVID and I'm not doing any of those things now. What are universities going to think about? Well, Believe me, again, the compassion and understanding of this process, we're all living this. So we don't expect you to be doing these things. In fact, we think that was probably not the wisest thing to do to collect with people and do things like that. But we will wanna know what you're doing with your time. Um, I was sharing uh, with Anjali before we started that I'm, you know, I'm doing one of those free courses uh, through Wellesley College, one of the MOOCs to learn Italian. So it's more like, how do you spend your time given the conditions that we're all in? And they can look different for each of us. I'm not suggesting everyone go take an Italian course at Wellesley, but just to think about what resonates with you, what can you do with this time that you have with your family um, and engaging in a different way. And so we'll all be thinking about those things uh, as we move forward. And I'm sure that every application will have pieces of that. In fact, my understanding is the common application will have a segment that they've added this year to ask, uh, I think it's a 150 words, I can't, promise you that, but it's a short uh, blurb where students will be able to talk about what COVID, how COVID has impacted their lives, which I think is a great addition to the common application, which is what we use. Right. I'm, in fact, and to interrupt you there, I've got the question here and it's a 250 word response. And, you know, it's going to ask you all sorts of things of how it affected you, your family and your education, etc. Perfect. Which is Thank lovely, you. which is great. 
Yeah. I think it's, a, and, it, and it doesn't detract from, you know, the general essay, which some, some students may opt to write about their, I mean, that may also be part of that, I understand, mm -hmm. but it's so wonderful that they've reserved this space. Sure. Um, the other essay that we have that I think, you know, if you're looking at a scholarship and, and looking for admission in a selective university is the YBU essay. We call it the YBU. It's, it's institution specific. And you may think, oh, BU, they get 65,000 applications. They don't read all that. We read all that. <laughs> so that, that small essay can be very, very meaningful to us. So for example, if in the essay, <clears throat> YBU, you talked all about Boston, and that was all you talked about. And my answer is, well, there were 60 schools in Boston. Why Boston University? And that's why you need to do research. And that's why these kinds of workshops, these kinds of webinars, talking to students, talking to alumni, uh, can really help shape and formulate your understanding so you have a really nice uh, and concise and thoughtful uh, answer to that question in particular. I did want to bring up another student. She's from New Delhi, Ashmita, and <clears throat> she um, uh, is coming. She did opt to take testing. She is in the Indian curriculum, um, which we still we consider obviously very rigorous as well. Um, we do look at what stream students are in as well to, to look again for math preparation. Um, her, she, I mentioned sometimes I see a little bit of a drop in, in the third year, and that has been Ashmita's story. So at BU, you can imagine with students from coming from all over the world, we really see every kind of curriculum you can imagine. Um, state curricula, you know, uh, from, from the Abitur to the Swiss Maturita to schools in Brazil, we see it all. So we really do understand. And, and then, I, as I said, I've been coming here a long time. So I've had a little bit of experience with Indian uh, curricula. Perfect. Are there any questions about the um, application process in particular, um, Anjali, before I move into talking a little bit more about COVID? So I think uh, one of the questions that, that a lot of students have is if you, you are going test optional, but how will you evaluate a student who submits the SAT scores as opposed to one who does not? If they were the similar sort of profile and one had the SAT score and one didn't, how would that impact the application? Great, great question. I love those questions that are always like, you have two students and one has this and one, and it never ever, in a committee, it never ever comes to that, I promise you. But um, when we really, um, I, I think the important thing for you to know is, first of all, think about your score before you submit it, right? So our average is about a 1460, just to give you some, you know, range. Now that's a range, that's, that's, that's the midpoint of our 50% uh, range. So, you know, I think you should speak to your counselor, to others to advise you on whether or not you should submit it. It's not going to be something that we're going to look at and will make or break the application. Because remember, the most important thing are grades and curriculum. So for the student who does not submit testing, we have one fewer piece, one less piece of data, right? We don't have the SAT in that student's case. So all the other pieces are going to be really important. So grades, curriculum, of course. Now you have the student that submits the SAT. Are grades still gonna be important? Absolutely. They're just submitting an additional piece because they're opting because perhaps they feel like it really showed their strengths and highlights some strengths that maybe are not re uh, revealed in other ways. And they think that will add value to their application. So it's really a personal choice, but how we're gonna view it is we're still going to look at the same, we're going to just look at it in the context of the application in both cases. Sure. So there's not going to be an advantage or a disadvantage. 
Okay, okay. So uh, another question is around APs, because APs are being administered online. It's an open right. book test. It's being taken at home. Yep. Will they have the similar weight that they had in previous years, or is it going to be, um, you know, something that is not so strong in the application? Absolutely, they'll have the same weight. Again, this goes back to institutions are being sensitive to what's happening, mm -hmm. right? Assessment for the IB has changed. Assessment for A-levels has changed. Everything has changed. And so we have to work within that. And so uh, I understand that, you know, the assessment is uh, for the AP is about 75% of the course content. So it is different. And, and we're very aware of that in, mm -hmm. in higher education and among the leadership. So not to worry. We understand these are very unusual circumstances. We know you are doing your best work in a rigorous program, but things have shifted. And so we'll, we'll, we'll move forward, not to worry right. about it. And, and grades would be in a similar situation. You did mention that grades. Exactly. Um, because some schools are not being able to conduct exams. I know a lot, of, you know a lot of people are changing it, how it's being administered, the final exams, et cetera. So all of that would be given uh, weightage, depending We're on where seeing, the student comes from. Exactly. And, and just to add to that, we're seeing some schools even do a pass-fail grading. All kinds of different things are sort of emerging as schools, you know, in the U.S., um, higher education is very splintered. States sort of uh, manage a lot of, uh, of secondary education. And so we're seeing very different things from different schools. And, and we're just, that's what we do. We just work within those confines. Okay. And the COVID question, which has come up on the Common App, which is going to be posed. So they're saying it's optional, but what, what is your opinion? I think there's a lot of concern about that. Is it really an optional question or is it something that one must answer? Because it's part of the additional information uh, and they are giving you the option of, you know, not opting for it. But what do you think? I think if it's optional, it's, it truly is optional. We would never say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe Anjali did not answer that COVID <laughs> question. What, you know, why wouldn't she do that? We would never think that way. You know, there's yeah. also the, there's always been an additional information section to the Common App and, and we'll still have, that will still be part of it. We'll have the COVID mm -hmm. and the additional information. Right. And lots of students don't opt to, to write in that section. And sometimes students do. They really want to say something that they want to call out. Like mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's a personal uh, experience or it might shed light um, it, about their drop in grades. And so they want to kind of own it. And they'll say, you know, I just want to tell you that my, soft, my second year, my sophomore year um, wasn't my best work. And here's why. And okay. I have been on, on a trend upward ever since. And so sometimes students really take that opportunity. So I see the COVID question is the same if you feel compelled, um, but there isn't a one size fits all in any holistic mm -hmm. admissions process. Sure, that makes sense. And also you don't want every common app essay about COVID. So, I mean, I think it's really smart to give an option. There. You can you know, talk about the hardships in, in another section, which, uh, you know, it, it's, it's impacted almost everyone. Uh, right. So the way I'm looking at it is giving you an opportunity to talk about that, but yet display your other, you know, what you're all about in the Common App essay. Right. I, I agree, because that's the only opportunity I really have to get to know the student. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I really appreciate that I'm going to have all these windows into their, into their lives and their experience. And it doesn't mean they can't write about COVID in, in the larger essay, in the general essay, mm -hmm. sure, um, sure. because I think it's how they approach it, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I wouldn't want to limit a student if they felt like really there was something extraordinary they needed to share with the admissions office. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I do think you're right, because I think that um, 
that now they have this opportunity. So I think it's an interesting uh, way students can uh, approach right. the essays. Sure, fantastic. I think there's one other question about uh, the College of General Studies. Sure. Uh, the admission standards, is it the same as for other programs or is it uh, the same as, you know, when you're applying to a Boston University in general? Uh, in general, it is the same. It is still selective um, university, uh, uh, selective uh, pathway to the uh, through VU. Um, so yes, so the SAT range I think is slightly different, but not markedly so. Uh, and same with GPA. Um, but it's just I think it's for the student who really loves this idea of a liberal arts prescribed curriculum in a team-taught um, sort of pedagogy. It's it's a really um, warm environment. Okay. Okay. Lovely. I think with a January start. I think that's the another with a January point. start. Yes, the timing. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. That that we've got. Great questions. Um, I appreciate them. Okay. So I think we can move on to addressing, as you said, you know, that's that's really on topmost in everyone's mind as to how it's going to impact college, how it's going to impact applications. Uh, class is going to be online. There are tons of questions going around on that. So it would be great if you can address that. And I have, and I, and I, I'm going to start by saying I don't have answers yet to a lot of just like so many institutions. You know, I think what's been really, um, and 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 let me just also add, you know, uh, you know, a little bit of weightiness here. But I do want to say I hope all, everyone is well, because I know these are Absolutely. extremely stressful. Uh, and challenging times and um, physically, mentally, and all of it. So I don't want to be dismissive about this. I realize how deeply we're all affected. So sure. my hearts go out to all of you. Um, so I think uh, what's important um, is that institutions like BU and others, my friend from UCLA yesterday, we were talking about this um, in our presentation, you know, it, you're starting to see institutions start making some decisions or inclinations about what will occur in the fall. At, we have we are not there at BU yet. We're really um, uh, still assessing what what we're doing, but we we are planning for um, right now. Our energy is planning to have students in the fall. That is our uh, we are a residential campus, and that is what we are working toward. Now, what that there's so many other things to consider among that. Like that that's our that's our goal. But of course, there are state guidelines and federal guidelines, as well as our own students. Uh, safety and comfort, which is our number one priority, number one. So when this began uh, in, the, uh, in the spring, not, not began, began, but when it affected us directly, um, we did have students, as Ashna said in her remarks, um, continue remotely um, with all the, uh, BU never closed. Every fundamental service remained open in terms of, just accessed in a different way, as you can imagine, right? Um, through, through obviously virtually. And so remote learning, office hours, all of that continued on. Um, in, 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 we pivoted incredibly, incredibly quickly. Uh, and so that was, that was incredible. Um, and then for the summer, our orientation, uh, for, which will happen in different, there are five uh, orientation sessions, and those will all be virtual. Those will all be online programming throughout the summer. As we've, so we've really put our energy into what can the fall look like? And that's what we're thinking, but we we haven't made a decision, and uh, you know uh, we as um, you know we've been very lucky because we have an incredible medical community in Boston, and you know we have a, an advisory board within our institution that is made up of incredible people that are thinking about this in in 
very detailed ways and looking at every possible scenario. So I think the important thing for all of you to know is that you're going to start seeing some decisions from institutions, I would say, maybe closer to June 1. So I think there's a little bit of time before institutions really start thinking about those things. A lot of institutions are saying they're not going to declare anything until July 1, you know, because it's such a shifting and changing landscape within it. And so, again, students' comfort and safety number one and health number one priority and that will not change so unless that if we can't make that assertion then we're, we certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't put anyone at risk so we're that's a nice vague answer to say we don't know yet <laughs> just like everybody else we don't know yet um, but i know um, i think for all of you that are thinking about applying um, i just think you should know that institutions like bu really are thinking of students first in every meeting i've been to um, around this topic at the university and they believe me they were daily <laughs> they were daily um, students were front and center every single decision of course because that's that's the business brand mm -hmm. having students have a great experience right. and, and leave well so um, a couple of questions are coming up around the COVID sure. situation and one of them is will BU be changing the timeline of the applications is it going to stick to the early decision and early decision to deadlines or what a smart audience <laughs> <laughs> smart audience and great questions uh right now yes she said with a lot of pausing but we but I, I should tell you there are lots of things on the table right now that we're talking about and and that is that is one of them so um i i i, I would tell you all um and I'm, I'm excited we always get a lot of applications from from here um but the typically the common application goes live in august so we'll have made decisions obviously by well in advance, but um, you might see, uh, certainly some schools will shift deadlines and um, other places you may be thinking of applying to, but right now our deadlines are as they have been, but it is a conversation we're having. Great question. So keep, keep, keep abreast of keep, it. Yeah. Um, so um, the other question is, will there be changes in financial aid because of COVID? What well, we don't offer. Yeah, we don't offer need-based aid, but uh, for those uh, families that are U.S. citizens and permanent residents, we may be able to do some adjustment because of, if their need has changed, their demonstrated need has changed. Um, for international students, we'll still offer merit-based scholarships as we always have. I think the one question that is uh, on everyone's uh, mind is that are there going to be a lot of deferrals? And if so, how would it impact the class of 2021? Will it become more competitive because there'll be less seats available? That's a great question. So at, at BU, I haven't heard it quite framed that way. That's interesting. So at, at BU, we offer, um, we have a September intake and a January intake. So we're, mm -hmm. we're semester-based, uh, two semesters a year and then summer programs. So my, so right now, we haven't seen a lot of deferrals, mm -hmm. really. Um, so right right now, that's, that's now, that might change. So I'm not trying to declare something and, and have it untrue later. Obviously, everything is changing. But um, we do offer a January intake. So my assumption would be that students would defer to January and not defer for a full year. But again, okay. as it plays out. Um, so would that impact selectivity next year? Not, I don't think so. Not, not it for us. Fair enough. That, that sounds great. Not a lot of colleges offer that. I think uh, 
a couple of them are not even allowing deferrals unless you have a really good reason for deferring right. it. And then they're not guaranteeing them a place in 2021 as well. So, I know, yeah. So, so there's been a lot of debate and a lot of back and forth on that as well. Um, Rachna, any other questions around uh, this one? Um, a lot of uh, people want to know with, with, if there are a lot of deferrals, will uh, 2021 then become more competitive? Yeah, um, yeah, I, ju I just asked that one. That one. Yeah. yeah. I can, um, I can hear the worry in the parents and the students now, but right, not to worry right, about that. Right. <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, perfect. And there are some questions about, um, about the scholarships uh, and the SAT. With BU being test optional, how will you, will, will you still be eligible for scholarships if you do not submit your test scores? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. okay. So for all programs. Okay, super. Super, so should we move on to the visa application process? I know students are fretting about that because you no. know, a lot of embassies <laughs> are closed and you know, whoever's got admission, they don't know what to do, um, how this is all going to pan out in case right. things open up. So yeah, Jan, go ahead. It's been, absolutely, yes. So obviously we, we are a very international place, so I think we're pretty good at this and you know, I, I've been around through other um, crises because I'm older <laughs> and have seen these kinds of activities where visas have been delayed or things have happened. Um, so we've been sending, we've sent hundreds and hundreds of first year I-20s already, which is the form you need to apply for this F1 student visa. And there were some issues early on um, with couriers getting into India, actually, um, if, for those of you that are on the subcontinent right now. Um, due to COVID. So we had to work with our, co our courier and really monitor that. And so we can get the documents into the country. And then there's, of course, uh, the embassy situations. Now, it's diff I, I don't know what's happening directly in India, but I know that many uh, embassies are taking appointments. So once you get your I-20, you have a CVIS number. And with that number, you can actually make an appointment. And some are doing that online. Some uh, embassies and consulates are offering that. I'm not sure situation in India in particular. Um, that doesn't fall within my purview. We are very fortunate that we have a, team, a huge team of specialists, our International Students and Scholars Office, and that's, that's their job. That's their job is to make sure that you follow the regulations when you're on our campus, that you're informed about everything, and that they assist you with um, job placement and all the pieces uh, that go with, with employment as well. So they're just a tremendous resource. But um, what, what we're hearing is that there will be, like, like um, I heard Indonesia's embassies are opening up um, mid-June. So I think there's a likelihood that some students will be able, should we have live campus uh, in the fall, would be able to be there and there'll be many that will not or might have to arrive late or so we're gonna just have to see how this continues to play out. It's still a little bit early um, because you don't have to apply quite yet anyway for a visa because you can't apply more than so many days in advance of your arrival date to the institution. So we still have some time, but we believe me, we are in constant contact with our students and asking them how the situation is going. We, we send them multiple, multiple communications um, um, because they're really, it's really the student's job to inform us about what's happening at the granular level within their country of origin, country of citizenship. 
That sounds great. And that's, that's uh, I mean, students should keep in touch with the university and figure out how Absolutely. to handle that particular situation. Absolutely. I don't know. Um, we can do uh, additional uh, letters of support. Now, historically, mm -hmm. F1 student visas have been prioritized when the embassy reopens. That's been a mm -hmm. historical pattern. So we're right. hoping that that will be the case again this year. Okay. 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 Um, I think that covers the visa questions. We do have some more questions, Anne. Sure. Uh, and I think one of them is a student who's planning on applying for business in Boston University. Uh, wants to know how heavily do you look at the course choices with the intended major so if he wants to pursue business and hasn't done that in high school how would that impact the application that's a great question so remember that bu is a fusion of professional schools like western school of business and the liberal arts so what we would expect for a student like like you that wants to do questrom is that you would have some level of calculus not business classes, but that you would have some calculus within your curriculum, whether that's you know, in the uh, Indian National Curriculum or the IB or AP or whatever you're taking. Um, because what we know is that um, students that are successful in Questrom have some calculus before they come in. So that would be the only thing, not business. You're in the IB and you're thinking, should I take higher business? Oh gosh, what if I don't? They won't. We want to teach you business, quite honestly. So that's not going to be a, an issue at all. Just the math background will be important. Good, great question. Okay, lovely. And I think uh, one other question that's coming up is one about research. Now, a lot of high school students do research projects. Now, how do you evaluate that as part of the application? Does that hold any weightage or how do you evaluate that? And the second part of the question is what sort of research opportunities? I know you covered some of it. But what are the kind of opportunities available to students? Absolutely. Uh, research is, is an excellent way to, for students to spend their time. So we certainly see a lot of applicants doing that. So good for you if that's what you're involved in. And it sounds like um, you're the kind of student that would probably benefit from being at a research university um, like us or others. There's a lot of great research universities in the US or everywhere. Um, but we offer an undergraduate research program and that really is distinctive for us. Um, it is funded in part by over a million dollars in research funding for just for the undergraduate program and you get to be mentored um, directly with a, with, a, with a researcher and it covers the gambit. Uh, there is uh, high-level research in um, biomedical engineering and then there is um, social science research, there is uh, business research, there I mean if you if you go to the website bu.edu slash u-r-o-p europe you will be amazed at what you see there and that only will continue to expand so there's just a lot that students can do typically students engage in research not you have to apply for it so typically it wouldn't be your fresh your first semester but certainly after that i had a great student from uh, mumbai who i remember her well she's graduated but she did research every semester she was at bu uh, saved her first semester. <clears throat> she did not do her first semester. Uh, and uh, part of which was um, through our study abroad. So some of our study abroad programs offer some ability to do research and some of which she did was funded by the uh, National Science Foundation. So there's some really incredible undergraduate opportunities for uh, for you if you are really keen on research and good for you for, for getting your hands in it now. Great, great. 
And the other question is, uh, when students, supposing you go in for the business major, but you want to switch to engineering or something like that, how do you do this into transfer? Is that a possibility at Boston University? And how difficult yeah. is it? Great question. Um, you know, I mentioned you can do double majors and double minors, but I didn't mention about this idea of changing your college at BU. And yes, mm -hmm. you can. You do not need to reapply, which is true in some other schools, but not true for BU. So let's say you were in engineering and then you wanted business and you, you didn't want to do a double major. You really wanted to shift everything over. It's a matter of, it depends on the school and college you're shifting to, um, but you usually have to take gateway courses or courses that would then sort of allow you to move into that major. And you just work with your advisor. Uh, and they will help guide you in what you need to do for that. But yes, students change colleges and change their minds or double major, but that, that's not an unusual shift. Um, we prefer that you do that um, you know, in your second year rather than like your senior year. Your parents would probably prefer that too, <laughs> but um, just because it makes it easier for you to, to do all that you need to do to graduate from the other college with BU. Right. Okay, that's amazing. I didn't know that about BU. That's, that's fascinating. Um, and one more question about grades, uh, Anne, is about if one is an IB student, is the IB score recalculated to the American GPA? So Great. you did have the GPAs uh, over there, yep. and is that recalculated, or do you consider it on the basis of IB? We, the IB is its own scale. What a great question. Um, your questions have been great today. Thank you. Um, the IB is a 1-7 scale, as you know, with 45 total points. So for us, that's our scale. We know what a 7 means. We know what a 6 means in the IB world. So that's how we think of you. Um, so I, 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 you're right, my, my student had a 3-7 or something, but let's just mm -hmm. pretend he has, you know, I don't know, 38, 39 <laughs> points. Okay, lovely. Okay, and there's an MBA question here, which is for MBA for Jan 2021. Is the GMAT score compulsory? Would you be able to answer that? Oh, I'm sorry. I only represent undergrads. What a, that's a great right. question. So I apologize. Right. My, my, my purview is really undergraduate. I, I, I guessed as much, right? So we'll find out that and get back to the person who asked that question, right? Uh, so, Anne, is the GPA weighted? Is it a weighted average? We do not weight the GPA. So when you apply, whether you're doing the IB or AP or the Indian curriculum, we, um, we don't weight it. What happens with weighting, in other words, because then you're probably saying, well, why am I taking hard courses that are challenging mm -hmm. if BU isn't going to care about that? Well, we do care about that. So the GPA is one thing, but in committee, how it goes is that we discuss what we call the rigor of your program. So the GPA and the rigor are, are two things that are different, right? So not all GPAs mean the same thing, right? A 4.0 in two different curricula is very different, right? Or a 3.5. So we recognize that there are courses that are going to be more challenging and pathways that are going to be more challenging. So we're considering that as we consider you for, for admission. And, and taking the most rigorous course you can is going to appeal to universities and colleges who want you to be successful uh, in their academic environments. Okay. Okay. Lovely. Um, I think that covers all the questions. Rachna, anything else do you think we have? Uh, there is one question from a student in Singapore. He, oh, great. Um, he has taken a gap year, uh, well, because he's doing national service. Military service, yep. 
Yes, and he was wondering what value does that hold in his application? Um, does that um, does that give him an advantage at all, or is it looked at um, positively? I, I think it. I mean, I think it's again every student's story is different, so I wouldn't say it's better or less than, but I think it's just his unique or his unique story, and we. We know that about the Singaporean uh, pathway, and so we see a lot of that. That's not unusual. Um, I will say sometimes we think there's some maturity that happens over gap years and over time that um, we consider, which is not a negative thing at all. <laughs> so, great, thank you. Okay, and I think that that's been a wonderful, very, very informative session. It's been fantastic. Thank you thank so you. much for joining us. And I think I just want to tell them all about uh, one more um, uh, the, the webinars that are coming up and I'm just going to put that on the screen. And I think that brings us to a close uh, with that. Uh, thank you so much, Anne, for joining us. Thank Thanks, you. Rachna, for conducting it. And thank you uh, to Ashna for joining in from Dubai. And we'll thank be in touch time. with you and with all our questions and queries. And thank you so much for taking out the time to be with us. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Look thank forward you. to having you in India soon. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Anne. Thank you. Thank you, Asha. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.